A significant part of anyone's life is where they wish to dwell and live. You know, some people have dreams to live in a suburban area away from maybe all the noise and maybe all the traffic and all the business of life. And maybe some people love to live in a uh, metropolis city and a, a city where there is a lot of people and there is a lot of traffic and they love that kind of lifestyle. And some people have a goal to live in a maybe higher society environment. Maybe they want success and identify themselves in this way. And some people love to live where they grew up and identify with their upbringing all their lives. They just don't want to live, leave home and, and they just want to be in their hometown. And just the other day, I was asking Josiah just a couple of questions. I was wondering if he was ready for it. I know he's only three years old. And I asked him, you know, Josiah, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he kind of thought for a while, and he said, Batman. That's great. That's great. And then uh, I asked him, so where do you want to live when you grow up? Where do you want to live? And he said, thought for a while, I want to live at home. <laughs> yes, you can be with me all your life. And, uh, you know, there might be some people who just love to live at home and uh, live in their hometown. And uh, I'm sure many people identify uh, themselves that way. And some people just maybe love the normal and uh, 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 usual environment with full contentment. And, and they don't need fanciness or luxury. Uh, they're just satisfied with the average and maybe the norm. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. And if you're com- content with that, if you love that type of lifestyle, wonderful, great. And the place where we dwell and where we live does bring about a certain insight and maybe the priority of our lives. And uh, in 1978, a team of geologists in Siberia were stunned to discover a family of six living on a mountainside miles from the nearest civilization. And they were called the Lykov family. If you look at the picture over here, back in 1978. And they fled the religious persecution in 1936 and live in the wild for the next 40 years of their lives. The two youngest children had never seen a human being that wasn't a member of their own family. And they were aware of their existence, though. And their language was distorted due to isolation, and they had never been bred. In a single room, the family survived on a diet of potatoes, ground rye, and hemp seeds, and they had eaten meat until the late 50s, where the younger boy uh, taught himself how to trap animals. And their shoes were made of bark, and their only reading materials were two things. Number one, prayer books, and number two was a family Bible. In 1961, the cold weather destroyed the family's crop, reducing them to eat bark and shoe leather. Their mother died of starvation during this time, making sure her children had enough to eat. After their discovery, the Lykov remained in their remote home, amazingly, accepting only a few useful items by donation. Three years later, three of the Lykov children died within the day of each other. Their father died in 1988, leaving Agafia. If you go to the next slide, you see the picture. The only remaining child alone in the mountain, where she had chosen to stay for another 25 more years, secluded all by herself. And what a remarkable story and what a remarkable lifestyle these people had. And as we think of this family, we stand in amazement of where they dwelled and chose to live. And so we have a certain insight about their family and also even their priority. And fleeting from religious persecution, 
we can see that they, they identified with God, and also their priority was God. And as Christians this morning, we are encouraged to recognize our identity and priority in life as well. I'm not implying that we are to live in a mountain somewhere in Siberia and, and to identify ourselves with God or maybe to be spiritual and have the right priority. But I believe that we need to think about our spiritual dwelling. Where is our thought every single day? Where is our heart every single day? Where is our motive every single day? Is our uh, thoughts and hearts and motive dwelling upon this world? Or are we thinking heavily and are we thinking spiritual? Or in the book of Psalm, there is a lot of application about spiritual dwelling and dwelling in the house of God and dwelling in the presence of God. In Psalm 91, verse 1, the Bible says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. In Psalm 27, verse 4, the Bible also says, David writes, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So what was David's only desire? His desire was to dwell in the presence of God, to dwell in the uh, house of God all the days of his life. And to behold the beauty of the Lord, he continues to write, and to inquire and to prayer, uh, have, have prayer in the temple. In Psalm 84, verse 10, also the Bible says, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. He says, I'd rather be the uh, lowest, uh, I guess, uh, I'd rather have the lowest job. I'd rather have the lowest job in the house of God than to uh, truly be uh, uh, dwelling in the tent of wickedness. And, and the psalmist, in every way, had the priority in spiritually dwelling with the Lord. It's quite clear where a spiritual dwelling should be, according to the Scripture. It should be with God. We identify with God, and He is our priority. If you are a born-again Christian this morning, then I am sure you're quite aware that our God dwells with us. I mean, you're glad that Jesus Christ, His Spirit, dwells with us, God's people say. And isn't that a wonderful thought? Isn't that a wonderful truth to dwell upon and to meditate upon? That God Almighty dwells with us. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, And knowing not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. You see, our God lives within us, and Christ in me, the hope of glory, is with us today. If he dwells with us, then why do we live this life as we are not dwelling with him? And sometimes we get a little bit distracted, and and, uh, we get a little uh, astray from the presence of God, and and even to uh, recognize the truth of the dwelling of God. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, if God dwells with us, then let us truly have a desire to dwell with Him in fullness. May our thoughts be constantly dwelling in Him. May our hearts always dwelling in Him. May our devotion of time dwell in Him. Always be the testimony. We have a man named Isaac in the Bible in the book of Genesis. Abram's son that inherited God's promise and blessing. And as his father was a pilgrim and also the stranger in the land of Canaan, Isaac was the same. He dwelt in tents, and he was moving around here and there in the land of Canaan. He was also a stranger and also a pilgrim. But in Isaac's testimony, I see 
There is another testimony. He was a dweller, meaning he dwelled in where God wanted him to be. He dwelled in the presence of God. He had dwelled in where God designated him to be also concerning the future things to come. And uh, he wanted to be where God's blessing was, where God's promise was, where God's presence was. And as he dwelled in the land of Canaan, we see a wonderful spiritual application of how, of how he dwelled with the Lord. So we are encouraged to know that uh, uh, Isaac dwelled in the presence of God. And I believe that we are encouraged to know his spiritual dwelling that could really apply to our lives. So I'd like to share with you this morning Isaac's spiritual dwelling with God as he dwelt in the land of Canaan. So first of all, number one, let's think about how he meditated. Isaac's meditation, the meditation of Isaac as he dwelt with the Lord in the land of Canaan and also having that spiritual presence of God with him. We see that in Genesis 24, he meditated upon the Lord. In verse 63, the Bible says, And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. You see, meditation is truly a lost art in our modern society. And, uh, you know, as we think about Isaac over here, he was about to have a new relationship, meaning he was waiting for the bride to come. And what an exciting moment that would have been. And he didn't know what time of the day or what day of the week she would come, but in every way, Isaac was getting ready. Not in preparation of the surrounding that he saw and what he felt, but he was getting ready in his heart. He was getting ready in his mind. So he was meditating upon the Lord. And he was out in the field meditating upon who God is and what God has promised him, I believe. And I believe that meditation is truly a lost art in our modern society. A lot of things that we feel and we see around us and that really dictates how we respond to things and and what we think about and what our priority is. But we need to really look deep within. We cannot live a shallow Christian life where we are always dictated by the things around us. No, we need to be dictated and be led by the Holy Spirit of God. And we need some meditation We need some time of seclusion where we think about the Lord and and where we uh, pray to the Lord. Meditation is truly a lost art in our modern society. Our minds are always distracted with media and people all the time. And our smartphones always distracts us. Our TVs, our social media and Facebook and maybe Instagram, our computers our internet. I know it's Super Bowl today, but I hope our hearts are not in Super Bowl this morning. And, uh, you know, a lot of different schedules that the world brings upon us and for us to think about all the time. And uh, I'm not saying those things are wrong, but I think sometimes it gets distracting and it really gets us not to think about the Lord and lose a priority. Oh, we are truly bombarded with too much information being fed to us without discretion and judgment. And the Word of God speaks of spiritual solitude. Jesus Christ, our Savior, our perfect example, our perfect model, practiced as many times the gospel gives evidence in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And you would think that Jesus Christ will uh, will always be about ministry and ministry and ministry, be around people all the time. But his priority was to dwell with the Father. 
and that his presence was needed in his life as well. In Luke chapter 9, verse 18, too, and it came to pass as he was alone praying. In Matthew four twenty three, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. When the evening was come, he was there alone. You see, in order to meditate and to dwell in the presence of God in fullness sometimes, we need to make sure that we are alone. We are alone. There is no way for us to be truly meditating unless we are alone with the Lord. Haven't you men done this many times? You know, you're watching TV, you're on your phone, you're doing something, you're reading a book, and your wife is talking, and you're just nodding your head. And you're acting like you're listening. And I'm sure you have done that. I have done that many times. And then uh, uh, as the conversation goes, it was not, it's, not, it's no longer a yes or no question, but you keep on saying yes. <laughs> and then your wife gets a little frustrated. And, are you listening to me? And then you say yes. <laughs> and, uh, but you're not really listening, are you? And uh, I'm sure many of you ladies have done the same thing, maybe different conversation. And, uh, but when we're doing that, we're not truly fully engaged in the conversation. We don't uh, give the attention as we should. And we're distracted. We have distracted conversation. We have distracted thoughts. And we have distracted meditation. Notice the words of the psalmist in Psalm 63, verse 6. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. And it seems very obvious that he was meditating upon God alone. He didn't want any distractions around him. And uh, he wasn't going to talk to people and talk to God at the same time. And he wanted to make sure that he was alone, and and he did it during the night watches and even up on his bed. And as he meditates, he remembers God. The Bible says, when I remember thee upon my bed. And and meditation helps us to remember the Lord. And and, uh, I I believe that uh, uh, this is truly needed in our lives because we forget him so easily. And we need to remember our God, our Savior, and our companion in this life. I think about one writer who wrote, Sometimes we as Christians need to stop along life's road and look back. Although it might have been winding and steep, it can be, it can, it, we can see how God directed us by his faithfulness. When we face difficulties, we sometimes forget God's faithfulness. We see only the detours and the dangerous path. But look back and you will also see the joy of victory, the challenge of the climb, and the presence of your traveling companion. Oh, let's not ignore our faithful companion, Jesus Christ. Let's not forget about him. You know, Jesus Christ said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Would you say that with me? I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He will never forsake you nor leave you. And he wants to be there for you. And he wants your full attention sometimes so that you could dwell in this presence. And, and I believe that we need some meditation alone. Oh, the word of God says in Psalm 72, verse 12, 77, verse 12, I will meditate also of the, all thy work and talk of thy doings. And, and one way to meditate and to remember God, because we're so forgetful, is to remember what he had done in the past. Has God done great things for you? And uh, I believe all of us have benefited by God's blessings and by God's grace in our lives. And number one, starting from salvation. Sometimes we need to dwell upon salvation, even though we're born again. We need to be grateful about salvation. 
thinking about the grace of God, thinking about the great plan and the sovereignty of God, and, and how he died uh, uh, before the foundation of the world, and how he, he was slain, and, and this was even before creation, and, and that God devised this, and that he planned it all along, and it wasn't 2,000 years ago where his heart went out to mankind. No, it was before the foundation of the world. And there is some great, wonderful truth about salvation that we could dwell upon. And how about this one, that we have eternal security? That we don't, we don't ever lose our salvation. And that we don't keep our salvation uh, with our own strength, but uh, uh, Jesus Christ keeps us. We are kept by the power of God. And what a wonderful thought that is. And, and we need to meditate upon what God has done in our lives, starting from salvation. Now, if you have never received Christ as your personal Savior, I want to encourage you to be born again. And from within, maybe you have some experiences of the past. And, and maybe you have some different upbringing concerning church. But are you born again this morning? Have you received Christ as your personal Savior in your heart? Has your sin been forgiven? And, and do you have eternal home in heaven? Are you secure about that? If you're not sure this morning, oh, I encourage you to raise your hand during the invitation and to let us know that you have the desire to receive Christ and to be born again. Because this is very important, my friend. You might have a, a, a life here that is enjoyable, that is happy, that is wonderful, and that is comforting. But what would happen to you after you die? What would happen to you after this life is gone? Oh, you need to meditate upon death. You need to meditate upon what is to come in the future. You cannot just, you know, live and drink and eat and be merry because there is a life to come. Would you be in the lake of fire or would you be in a, a wonderful place called heaven? Oh, I encourage you to choose Jesus Christ and to be with Him in heaven forever and ever. And I think that's something you need to meditate upon if you have never received Christ as your Savior. But as Christians, again, oh, let us make sure we meditate upon salvation and let us meditate upon the great works that He has done in our lives. And also, even from the Scripture, God has done great things. He split the Red Sea and He fed the 5,000. He walked on water. And, uh, I mean, He created the whole world in six days. And, And all these wonderful things that we could dwell upon that we forget and when we do so i believe that we tend to lose faith we tend to lose faith we get little faith and and uh uh, we reduce down to all reasoning arguments and we start leaning on our own understanding because we're we are meditating upon ourselves we're meditating upon the things uh, that we see rather than the holy spirit and also god whom we need to trust Oh, I want to encourage you to meditate, meditate upon the Lord. And uh, I think about Psalm 72, verse 18. Look at it in the screen. It says, Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. You know, whatever God does, he has never failed. Whatever God does is not in any way uh, insignificant. No, everything that he does is significant. Everything that he does is glorious. And everything that he does uh, is powerful. And uh, 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 we need to meditate upon the wondrous works of God. And uh, he has done great things. He has done only great things. Let us meditate upon him. I think about Isaac. Isaac doesn't have, in every way, the chapters like Joseph and maybe Abraham. But uh, uh, even though... 
have just little description of Isaac about his life, I, I believe that uh, it, it speaks volume when, he, uh, when the, wor- uh, the Word of God gives evidence that he meditated upon the Lord. I think we need to make sure we take heed to that. And let us make sure that uh, we do meditate upon the Lord every single day, not just on Sunday, but every single day, thinking about God every day. And uh, did you know our God is mindful of us? Our God is mindful of us and that he visits us. And sometimes we ignore him. I think we ought not to do that. And uh, as we live in a very busy society, let's not get distracted with all the happenings of life. Let's really really get alone with the Lord sometimes. And let us really, in every way, get our thoughts fixed upon the Lord, get our hearts fixed upon the Lord, what he desires, what he wants in our lives. Meditate alone. That's a challenge for us. Number two, secondly, we have the supplication of Isaac. It's a supplication of Isaac, Isaac's supplication. Genesis 25, verse 21, down to 20, it says, And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethel, the Syrian of Pananaram, the sister to Laban, the Syrian. In verse 26, it reads, and after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel. His name was called Jacob, and Isaac was threescore years old. That's 60 years. 60 years old when she bare them. So when did Isaac entreat it to the Lord concerning Jacob and Esau, concerning the future sons to come? When he was 40 years old. And when Rebekah actually... Uh, uh, Boiler's children, how old was Isaac then? 60 years old. So do the math. How many years? 20 years. 20 years he waited for those two sons to come, Jacob and Esau. You think that he, uh, sometimes uh, he just entreated the Lord, and then, man, there it goes. There's a baby coming. No. He had to wait for 20 years. Now, I don't know when he started to pray, but I would think that back in those days, I mean, he's already 40 years old, he would want a child right away. And, uh, and, and he could have prayed for 20 years straight. He could have prayed for 15, and, and he could have prayed for 10. But I'm just letting you know that he prayed for a very long time for these two sons to come. Or the future inheritor. And as we think about our prayer life, and as we think about uh, what we do in petition, I wonder if we could make a request concerning uh, 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 the things that we want and desire for 20 years. I wonder if we could pray for 15 years or maybe 10 or maybe 5. How about one year? Could you pray for one request for one year? Could you do that in your life? Or could I do that? You know, in society, you want everything so fast. And that everything must be bought and received now. I saw one website the other day. It read in the very front page, Black Friday every month this year, you know, and uh, it's not every November anymore. You know, it's not once a year anymore. This company says Black Friday every last Friday of the month. And, uh, I mean, uh, people appeal to that, and they want to look at the sale. They want to look at the good deal. And, uh, but it's very obvious that people can't wait, and, and uh, 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 those uh, companies know that, and they want to take advantage of that sometimes. And ladies and gentlemen, God will take his time in answering a request in some cases, but let's not treat the Lord like we treat some things as consumers in this world. 
We cannot do that. We cannot bring the sovereignty of God down to this standard. And we need to make sure we wait upon his timing sometimes. And also, we need to make sure we think about the heavenly motive that God has for us in answering those requests. I think about what James uh, writes in James 4.3. He asked amiss and received not because he asked, I mean, he asked not and received not because he asked amiss. That he may consume it upon your lust. Ladies and gentlemen, the priority and the motive of every request should not be lust, but the Lord. That's the battle. When we have prayer requests in our lives, it could be very lustful, as James writes. You ask amiss. You don't have what you want and you desire because you're asking amiss. You're basing it upon your lust. But we need to make sure we base it upon the Lord, what the Lord wills. And uh, 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 as we think about the first portion of Lord's Prayer in Luke, Luke chapter 11, verse 2, and uh, uh, it says, and he said unto them, Jesus says, this is how you ought to pray. When you pray, say, Our Father which are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Whose kingdom? God's kingdom. Whose will? God's will. You see, Jesus Christ wants us to make sure that we are thinking about God first rather than our own lust. And when we pray to the Lord, we must pray this way. And this is the reason why supplication needed sometimes. There's a difference between prayer and supplication. Prayer is just you know, having petition in your life, asking. But supplication is, is, is begging and, uh, uh, for a period of time and, and enduring some time to keep on asking. And, uh, and asking and begging for something earnestly and humbly is needed so that we could have the right motive and the right purpose. Someone has said that supplication involves threefold, communion, intercession, and petition. And these are the priorities that we need to have. These are the orders, number one. And if you look at the slide, in communion, God does something in us. Communion with the Holy Spirit, the Scripture talks about in the New Testament. You see, when we pray... We need to think about the one we're praying to. Sometimes we're just thinking about our prayer request. You know, oh, what I want, what I need. This is the thing that I need. And uh, my house and uh, a new job and all these different things. And we mentioned that before anything else. But we need to make sure we need to have the communion of the Holy Spirit. We need to have that bonding of the Holy Spirit. And being in tune with him and, and to talk to him and have him talk to us. And, and communion is a priority in prayer. And then, secondly, we have intercession now and God does something through us. And, uh, you know, God working, uh, not us. And, uh, you know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that Holy Spirit intercedes for us in the things that we cannot even utter. And, uh, and ladies and gentlemen, intercession is God's uh, uh, job. And in every way, we need to honor him that way. And, and we need to uh, recognize that uh, uh, we are in every way helpless and, uh, and powerless and weak. And, and he is the one that is mighty. And he is the one that could intercede for us to God the Father. And we need to make sure we're in tune that way as we pray. So number one, in communion. And number two, intercession. And then number three, we have petition now. God does something for us. And this is part of supplication. And, the, uh, and, and, and I believe that many times we are hurried to make petition, but we need to make sure we have communion first. And then we think about intercession next. And then petition. And God wants to do something in us, through us, and for us, but he can't do any of those things 
unless we learn to have supplication. A time when we pray. A time where we pray over and over again. We need to recognize that prayer is not just here a little and there a little. No, it's a whole lifetime. And prayer should not be limited by time or schedule. I think we could pray continually and we could supplicate always. The Word of God commands us plainly, but in a very profound way. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, let's say this together. Ready? Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Very simple verse there, but very profound. We could pray without ceasing. You could keep on praying to God, and he'll hear you. You know, God doesn't make appointments here and saying, hey, I want to make an appointment here, and I want to make an appointment there, and hold on for us, stop praying. Okay, let me listen to this person. No, he doesn't do that. When we pray to the Lord during the invitation this morning, guess what? God is able to listen to every one of us individually and deal with us individually. What a powerful God. What a wonderful God who has great omniscience and also omnipresence. And ladies and gentlemen, let us be grateful for that and, and let us pray without ceasing. Oh, I think about the Cole family this morning and even uh, Brother Ignacio's family this morning. You know what they're doing right now is to pray without ceasing. They keep on praying. They keep on praying. And, and ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to wait for a trial to keep on praying. You could pray every single day. There's nothing wrong with praying to God every single day. And uh, I, I think you need to get that practice in your life so that when those things do come, that it is in every way uh, uh, not a duty, but a great desire, and also uh, recognizing that God does listen to you through joy and through trials. And I think it would be a great peace in your heart. Not only that, number three, the perseverance of Isaac. The perseverance of Isaac. Genesis 26, verse 19 to 22. And Isaac's servant digged in the valley and found there a well spring of water. And the hermit of Gerar described with Isaac's hermit, saying, The water is ours. And he called the name of the uh, well Isaac, because they strove with him. And they digged another well. And, and strove for that also, and he called the name of it Sitna. And he removed the men's and digged another well, and for that they strove not, and he called the name of it Rehoboth. And he said, For now the Lord hath made, made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. So how many times did he dig? Three times in this passage. Two times they had to remove themselves from the well that they digged, because the hermits of Gerar strove with them. So third time is a charm, right? Okay, so third time they dig, and then uh, there's no strife, so they're able uh, to stay uh, 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 in that land, in that place. So what does Isaac say? He say, for now the Lord hath made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. What's the testimony of Isaac here? He persevered, and he stayed. A lot of things were going well in Isaac's life during this time. And he had a little trouble with uh, Abimelech and uh, and the king of Gerar. And also he had a trouble concerning famine in Genesis 26. And also he had to strive with the Hermes, as we just saw a moment ago. So a lot of things were going well in relationship during this time. He could have easily moved to maybe Haran, his uh, uh, maybe uncle's family's house once again, and to be there, and to be Rebecca's family, and, and, and to just leave the land of Canaan. But he persevered, and he stayed where God wanted him to stay. And ladies and gentlemen, what a great, wonderful example for us to learn concerning the will of God, and concerning the plan of God. 
And ladies and gentlemen, whatever God has planned for you to do and whatever God's will is for you, stay there and live for the Lord and in every way persevere when trials do come. I think about uh, 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 a wonderful uh, 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 scripture here in verse 3. And Genesis 26, verse 2 and 3, 2, it says, Go not down to Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. In verse 3 it says, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee. And will bless thee, for unto thee and to thy seed I will give all these countries, I will perform the oath, which I swear unto Abram thy father. So sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee. Who is talking here? God is. So God says to Isaac, I will be with you, stay here, don't worry about anything that's going to happen. Don't worry about the famine. Don't worry about anything of the future. I will give these countries to your family. I will make sure that uh, you have the victory here. And Isaac took heed, heard the word of God, and stayed there by faith. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, when, go, uh, when things go wrong, recognize that who is with you? Jesus Christ is with you. God is with you. Do not forget that. And persevere. Persevere. And... Uh, as we abide, there will be trials and temptations and, and obstacles, but we need to persevere and endure. You know, one of the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. And what does it mean? Long-suffering. That's what it means. You suffer long. And in our journey with Christ, we need long-suffering sometimes. And in every case, in every trial... Let us recognize that the Holy Spirit is dwelling with us, and there hath no temptation taken us, which is common to man, but God is faithful. Timing is of the Lord. Sometimes you might be wondering when God's timing will be. That's why we need to, that's when we need to have faith and patience. And uh, don't get ahead of God, and don't try to do that. You'll never get ahead of God. God will make everything beautiful in his time. And uh, Isaac's were, for now the Lord hath made room for us, we shall be fruitful in the land. He was waiting for the Lord to intervene as he kept on digging, kept on digging, and kept on digging. And finally, God answered, and God gave the land, the place where he needed to dwell with his family. And God's timing came for him. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what kind of trial you're going through today. I don't know what kind of plan that you're asking to the Lord. But ask the Lord for his timing and his plan to unfold. And make sure that you persevere.